Welcome back. This is the fourth episode of Taming of a Brew. I am Sita Harris, the author, and today we are going to continue reading extracts from the book while introducing you to one of the other characters. Stay tuned. Minta put a little money aside to buy coloured raffia strings, sequins, beads, ribbons and yarns whenever she could. They ended up on her cap, decorated like a Christmas tree in the middle of the plainness of our own headgear. Apart from this difference, Minta and I were like sisters, maybe closer than sisters, because we spent so much time side by side. As we continue toward our work, we leave the last house behind and proceed a little further until we reach the spirit gate. Carved figures of men with huge curling moustaches and long teeth are mounted on cut eucalyptus branches as posts. On a slab of stone beneath them were offerings of coconut, cut lime, flowers, vermilion powder, candles, burnt camphor, and sometimes a glass of rum, or even some lit cigarettes. Be warned, if someone doesn't pass through the gate properly, touching it perhaps, then something terrible could happen. That's what we both have been warned by our families. So each time we pass through the gate, we slow down, greet the altar with folded hands and bent heads, afterwards holding each other's hand tightly, reassuring ourselves that we did not disturb the scene. We would run, air filling our lungs in big gulps, as if the devil was chasing us. Last night, Mosi asked me again about my dream, I told Minta. There is nothing new with that one. I didn't want to add to a topic so often spoken about, so I challenged her. Bet I can beat you up to the top. My feet knew this route well, and I hopped from rock to rock, jumping over exposed roots. In places the dirt is powdery between my toes, in other spots pebbles poke at the soft underparts of my arches. Since it's so damp, I sense more than saying the old tea camphor bark and cassia trees, as well as stands of bamboo towering over me. I win again, which Minta takes with a huge laugh. See you at the factory centre! I scramble up a steep stretch of a mountain, my empty basket bouncing on my back, then I skip ahead to catch up with my aunt. After some time, the pale night fades and the sky lightens with a gleam of aurora. Most of the evening entertainment on board after dinner seemed to finish at about midnight, and instead of going straight to bed, I would often go up onto the sports deck and stand for a while, taking in some fresh air and assimilating the beauty of the night. In good weather, the sky was a dark, velvet blue in which the stars seemed to twinkle and shine, much more clearly and brightly than they did at home. Experiencing the mystique of being on a lone ship in the middle of thousands of square miles of empty ocean, I can quite understand why some deep-water sailors find it very hard to settle down on shore after a lifetime at sea. The voyage gave me very long hours to meditate upon what was awaiting me on that island. While crossing the Indian Ocean, the weather was superb, with just a heavy swell which made the ship roll at times. Her air conditioning and forced ventilation were fine, so we had no difficulty in doing all our packing in order to be ready for going ashore the next day. However, it was hot enough to make us realise that without these artificial aids, it would have been unbearably hot inside the ship. My thoughts went to the shiploads of slaves, caught, sold and boarded to unknown lands, far away, 
held by colonial masters. One such ship would have sailed to Mauritius, where I was heading to. I couldn't stop feeling a strange sensation in my stomach, inferring all the atrocities which may have accompanied the slaves on their fearful journeys. And here I was going about visiting new places, playing games, having air conditioning, mountains of pastry and endless coffee to keep with the long hours on board. When La Concale slid into the dock, the sun was burning down and the cool ocean breezes were now behind them. Sebastian loved to feel the sun on his skin. The heat was like food to him, nourishing, burning the life back into his body from where it had been drained away by the cold gloom of the Atlantic, battering his homely coast of Finisterre in Brittany. He breathed deeply, drawing the warm marine air into his lungs, savouring the smell of the land after weeks at sea. Standing on the foredeck, Sebastian watched the seabirds circling the boats and dows scattered around the bay. They were ready to swoop and dive hungrily to the surface of the water to scoop up any scraps of food thrown by the fishermen. Ahead, the land throbbed with heat, and under the distorting haze of the sun, the port was a vibrant splash of primary colours as brown-skinned bearers carried sacks of produce from the mainland. Huge bales of bright-hued fabrics and baskets overflowing with tropical fruits and spices. Indian almond trees with their large leafy crop gave more shade than an umbrella. To women draped in bright bold pattern fabrics, sometimes the baby hanging behind on their back. Sebastian could smell the rich aroma of those spices in the air, mingling with the tang of salt from the ocean and the sharpness of sweat from the procession of labouring men as they carried produce between ships and warehouses. It took several hours to partially unload the concal or the cargo designated for Zanzibar and replenish her hold. She was a tram steamer on a long circular voyage, picking up and depositing cargo as she went in a series of short runs along the way. She followed no regular route, but went where the loads were, discharging one cargo and seeking a replacement. Her cargo changed constantly, depending on the port, everything from sugar, salt and spices to scrap metal and machine parts. This would be only a brief steep stopover. The ship would sail on the first tide next morning, not long after dawn, but until midnight they were free to enjoy the sights and sounds of Zanzibar, to explore its bazaar, drink their fill in its quayside bars and sample the delights of its spicy cuisine. The ground on the dockside underfoot was hot as a gridiron. Prostitutes were evident everywhere, calling out to the men as they swaggered by, knowing the sailors could have been weeks at sea without the comfort and pleasure of a woman's body. Some men succumbed, peeling away from the group, happily led by the hand by smiling white-toothed women with skin like burnished ebony. Sebastian never gave them a second glance. He drifted in the narrow alleys with beautifully carved dolls in timber. Each one could easily win its place in a museum for their sheer intricate carving. Also called Gujarati dolls, because they are made by merchants and craftsmen from Surat. They are usually divided into smaller sections and have foldable shutters. Some have heavy brass studs and arched top frames, just like in Indian palaces.
Brass pits came from India, where they are usually used to protect the doors against elephants. The carved decoration generally showcased the wealth of the resident with various ornaments and patterns. Wave-like patterns and ropes allude to seaborne trade. Chains are said to protect the building from evil spirit, but they also mark the mansions of wealthy Arab slave traders. Flowers at the top of the door tell how many families used to live inside, whereas vines refer to the spice trade. Geometric shapes, like squares, refer to accountants. Sebastian caught up with all this local information when he stopped at the roadside cafe to quench his thirst with a chilled fresh juice. The cafe owner was chatty and wanted to practice his English, but found that Sebastian was French, although this did not deter him from talking. He carried on, and Sebastian could pick what he was saying relying upon his high school English. Apart from that, cats were abundant everywhere, and the place looked dead. He found a brightly lit bar which was buzzing, the food and drink accompanied by live jazz music, the singers handpicked by the owner for their beauty of their faces more than for their melody of their voices. Tonight, there was a mixed crowd at the tables, mostly men, crews from other ships, merchants and traders, German and British settlers in Zanzibar to do business, assorted consular officials of varying nationalities, the odd policeman, and this evening a table of four Germans, two of them in naval uniform and sporting the sinister-looking band on their upper arm, where once there would have been a visible swastika. Sebastian ordered some grilled seafood, which came with rice and kachumbari, a Swahili name for a cucumber and tomato salsa with hot chilies. Some chilled beer washed the heat down his burning throat, and he stayed drinking till late, listening to the loud music. Next morning, he walked and went straight away to the deck. He looked over the roofs of the city. On some of the nearby buildings, he could see women already up and putting their washing on the top of the roofs. In the half-light before the sun rose fully and made working more arduous. His head was pounding, his mouth raw and his stomach upset, the delayed penalty for the combination of cheap beer and spicy food. Stone Town, laid in front of him, looking bored and hot, steeped in time, which looked like it stood still. He had read so many exciting things about Zanzibar, and it was a shame that he didn't have enough time to explore it. He wanted to know more about this place, as it had a huge connection to the island of Mauritius, where he was heading. Most slaves were shipped from here by the French to work on their estates. The same dock which is now holding the ship he is on. He would have had a different destiny to a slave who was chained and thrown in those horrendous ships at that time. The dockside was deserted, but the deck of the Concal was a hive of activity as the crew made ready for the departure. The hatches were closed, cargo checked, derricks secured, the steams already up, and the crew were everywhere checking every movable was safely stowed, the gangway was lifted and the moorings were slipped. The horn sounded and the ship eased away from the quay. For days the voyage had no halt. It was a straight sailing and the weather was good. A vastness of blue above and beyond 
which merged into each other, blurring the horizon line, giving the illusion that all that existed was the sky and the ocean. So here we are. This is the end of this episode. We look forward to see you to the next one. Stay tuned. Till then, goodbye.